0: We're going to uh, open up in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse two today. And today we're going to talk about the church a couple weeks ago, uh, as we had several folks who, who just committed their life to, to follow Christ as His disciples uh, through baptism. Um, and we talked about baptism, and then uh, last week, just talking about what it, what's the, the then what after committing one's life to Christ, becoming a disciple of Christ, and and um, what that looks like. And this week, we're going to talk about about the church. And so um, we're going to start here in First Corinthians chapter one, verse two. But uh, I'd like to just ask the Lord to, to direct our steps here this morning as we do. Fathers, we come to your word today. We thank you for it. Alive and active. Lord, able to pierce through the, the deepest, darkest corners of our soul. And to divide falsehood and truth. And Lord, to lay before us um, the revelation of who you are and what you have called us to. Lord, I ask that you would, would do that for us today, that you would teach us your ways, that you would show us what it is that, that you desire from us, that you would show us um, who you are as our Lord, as our Savior, as our, our Shepherd and Father. Um, Lord, we also ask that you would show us, Lord, who you have made us to be. Lord, that we would glorify you through that, and we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. So, a couple of questions that we're going to explore, and I'll, I'll just give you, uh, I guess, a little warning here: the matter, uh, the subject of of the church, uh, we could really extend this into quite a lengthy uh, uh, series of messages and of of really looking into Scripture because we're we're really just going to be kind of scratching it here today. Um, but what I want to try and accomplish is to kind of go for the heart here of of what Scripture teaches about the church. And um, we're not going to hit everything, and there's going to be plenty that that perhaps, if you're a, if you're a student of Scripture, there's going to be plenty here that you're, you're going to think, well, that could have been added, and you're right. There's a lot that could be added to this that I'm not going to add today, um, because we, just for... Uh, I, I, th- I think the battle of attrition would set in before we really worked our way too far into it, really. But uh, but we're going to look at First Corinthians chapter one verse two, and 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 a couple of the questions that I want to try to to address here from Scripture this morning is who or what is the church, and the other question is why is the church here, and those are the questions we're going to try and and touch on today from God's Word. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. This is uh, uh, Paul's introduction uh, of his letter to the church in Corinth. And uh, I, I think verse 2 um, helps us to uh, understand um, what God's perspective is of the church. So he says, To the church of God that is in Corinth... To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I'm going to read that one more time. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, Called to be saints together with all those who, in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. We're going to break this verse down a bit here, and then uh, um, we'll actually look at some other, a couple other passages as well. But let's start right here. Paul says to the church of God. Now there is a denomination that were called by such a name. That is not who he's addressing, okay? Um, Paul is not referring to a denomination. Paul is referring to something else. The church of who? Who? Who does it belong to? Yeah. That is a foundation right there. The church of God. The word that's used there for church is ecclesia, uh, it's a gathering here, um, used here, it's a gathering of believers in Jesus Christ. Um, it's the community of committed disciples of Jesus Christ. And, um, and Paul is uh, addressing this gathering or this community, and when I say gathering, I don't mean that it's, it's a, like here we're gathered physically, but rather a, a community, a collection, a body of believers that he's addressing. And um, specifically, he says those in Corinth, and we'll, we'll kind of touch on that in a minute, but, um, but he says to the church of God, the gathering of, of believers, the gathering of disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ who belong to God. God. Now that's, uh, that's not something that we should gloss over. It's easy to say, um, but we really must believe that. That when we talk about the church, we really must believe that it belongs to Him first and foremost, beginning to end, and all the way through the middle. That, that it belongs to Him. Acts 20, uh, verse 28 Look there, real quick. Actually, we have it here. Uh, In addressing uh, um, some church leaders, they say, "Be care, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood." How? Where? how, How? How did the church come about? The church came at the cost of the blood of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice. So what does that tell us? It tells us that there is no one who has given more for the church than our Lord Jesus Christ who laid his his life down for her. He bought her at a tremendous price, an incomparable price. He is passionate about the church which belongs to him. In fact, the Scriptures refer to the church as the Bride of Christ. As we uh, continue on here, the church of God, that is in Corinth. We'll double back to that in a minute. um, Sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified, what does that mean? It means to be purified from sin, consecrated to God, made holy. How are we purified from sin? How are we consecrated to God? How are we made holy? What is the means of that? The means of it is through Christ. The sacrifice of Christ. By faith in Christ, we have received forgiveness. We've been made clean. And we have been set apart, consecrated, set apart to God. Belonging to Him. And for His purpose and for His glory. That He has taken what is not holy, namely you and me, And made us holy through his son Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So we know that as Paul addresses the church, he's addressing those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So he's not talking to everybody who's in Corinth, he's not even talking to everybody who may gather together physically. He's talking to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's who he's referring to as the church. In fact, the, there's a, um, a word there that I'm going to throw out some uh, original language here. Um, not because I'm a language scholar by any stretch of the imagination... Um, and in fact, I'll, I'll share something that I, I thought was hilarious, and hopefully you do too. But um, when I was just beginning to, um, uh, uh, to preach here years ago, um, I heard uh, it was, I believe it was Tony Evans. He said that, um, that Greek and Hebrew are like underwear, great for support, but don't let everybody see it. So what we're going to do today is look at, I'm going to throw out some Greek here for the purposes, hopefully, of you kind of being able to piece together some things because in understanding some of that uh, original language, what we find is that there's some meaning filled out for us as we, as we read the scriptures here. So the word here that I want to introduce to you is agiazo. Um, that's to be uh, purified, um, to be made holy, consecrated. The reason that I throw this out there is because there's a very similar word that, gets, uh, that Paul uses here next, called to be saints, agios. And so the, there's what God did, God took the unholy and made it holy, and now the agios are the people who have been made holy. So there's there's the action God did, and then there's the people that God made through that action. And so we have those, here Paul is addressing those whom have received Christ by faith, and thereby been forgiven and washed clean of their sins, called to be saints. That is, people who are sanctified people of God. Pure, blameless, clean, holy by God himself. Um, I want you to see 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter has a... um, just gives us such a a picture of who we are as the people of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, You are a chosen race. Now... Peter is addressing, again, the church. He's addressing believers, and he says to them, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, Peter here lays out an identity for, for who the church is. So the church is not an organization. That's not what is referred to here in Scripture. We're not talking about just an organized group of people with a common interest, a common goal. We're talking about a family, a body of believers that belong to God, find their purpose in Him, find their place in Him. There's no church without Christ. If there's no cross, there's no church. Um, The church are those who have been saved through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who now belong to God because they have been purchased by Him, by His blood. And Peter says that because of that, you're now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, going on here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as we follow along in what, how uh, Paul continues to uh, unfold his greeting here. So, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we're, now this brings into a, a little bit of a new dynamic with who is the church. So Paul says the church of God, um, that is in Corinth. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that there's, a, there's the church of God that's not in Corinth, right? Right? So there's the church of God that is in Corinth and then there's the church of God that isn't in Corinth. And Paul says that this church, the church of God that is in Corinth, the local assembly gathering of believers is joined together with all of those everywhere who are not the church of God in Corinth but are the church of God in other places through Jesus Christ. He says with that We are called to be saints, to be those sanctified, set apart, consecrated to God, pure and holy, by Him and for Him people, together, not just with one another here in Harrison, but together with all the saints, all the people who call on Him as their Lord and Savior. And so we have the the church local that belongs to him, that is us right here, we get together to worship him, to give thanks to him to to uh, help each other grow in his likeness, and to share the gospel with those whom he 's given us the opportunity to do so, but there is a church universal that is the larger scope of everyone, everywhere who believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who we participate with in the church. So as we read through Scripture, uh, I can't think of one single instance in, in, in Scripture where church refers to a building or an organization. But church refers to Either a gathering of local believers who belong to God, who were saved by Him and set apart for His glory, who gather together to encourage one another and worship God together, or the church as, it rep- as represented by the whole body of believers in Christ who may, who may be scattered across the whole planet. And even scattered across generations. Generations. That the music, uh, many of the songs we sing, written by people who have long since gone to be with the Lord, yet we are participants with them in the body of Christ, the church, who belong to Christ. We get a, um, we get a picture of this in Revelation chapter 7. Um, it's the last, last book of your Bible, if you want to turn there with me. Um, i 've had opportunity not to not to travel a whole lot but um, but the little bit of traveling that i 've been able to do, um, whether it 's within the u s or outside of the u s the one thing that I just uh, cherish and love and, and i 'm thankful for is that when you meet uh, uh, folks whom you don 't know um, who don't know the Lord, you, you, you just you recognize we're strangers. Yet when you gather with those who do know the Lord, there is something unique that happens between believers where you recognize uh, we may not know each other, but we're part of the same family. There is a connection at the heart level where we gather to worship God together in unity even though we don't know each other. I don't... You know, sometimes we don't know each other's names. We certainly don't know each other's where we came from and what life is like for each other. And yet, the one thing we know is that we have both been saved by our, our, by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we both share a common hope in Him. That we gather together in His name, His people, His family, for His purposes. Revelation chapter seven, as um, as we're told about the uh, the persecution that will come against believers, uh, I just want to read this passage because in it we get a a picture of the unity of the people of God, saved by Him and for Him. So. Revelation seven verse nine After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, don't miss that part of it, crying out with a loud voice. This is a passionate cry on behalf of these people, and they say salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. People from every tribe, every tongue, every nation gather together who have this one thing in common, and that is salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's a beautiful picture of of what God is bringing us to. Bringing us into. The family of God. Gathered with people we've never met. But gathered for the same reason. To worship the Lamb. Who was slain for us. Now, as Paul is jumping back to 1 Corinthians there. As Paul continues on here with his greeting. He says. So there are those who are gathered together, uh, gathered together with those who, in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. But Paul tucks that in there in his greeting, and what is he saying? Well, the use of Lord is an expression of devotion and submission to the to the authority of Christ in our life. And what Paul is saying is to the church. Who is the church? Those who have been sanctified, set apart, made clean through faith in Christ Jesus. Called to be his sanctified, set apart people, saints. Who, um, who are submitted and devoted to the authority of Christ in their life. That we share that very thing together. Colossians chapter one. I, I, man, I just love this passage in Colossians uh, because it does for me the very thing that needs to happen often uh, for me and probably for you, which is to bring Jesus back front and center and remind us who is this all for. Colossians chapter one, verse fifteen. This is what we, uh, um, when we were going through Colossians, called the Colossians Creed. So why don't you read it aloud with me. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. making peace by the blood of His cross. Amen. That is a steak dinner if you ever had one. Jesus Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It was by Him and for Him and in Him that all things were made and hold together. Period. I mean, we could just close, it, close up shop right there, leave you with that, and, and, and just build your house on that. Because that will give you a right worldview of the rest of your life. I'm here by Him, saved by Him. I am saved for Him, and, and it's Him that holds me together. He is the head of the body, the church. The church does not belong to anyone else. There's no competition. He said in the Old Testament, I am a jealous God. I will not share my glory with another. Guess what? The church is the bride of Jesus Christ and he will not share her with another. So if ever myself or, or yourselves or all of us together get the idea that this church exists for us, by us, and it holds together by our hand, we have just stepped in to compete with Jesus for his bride. Listen, uh, I'm hopeful that if someone stepped in to compete for your bride, you'd do something about it. Well, you better believe Jesus will. He will. I'm, I'm keenly aware of that, um, just in what God has called me to, that if I fail in what God has called me to, um, for your sake, for the sake of his bride, he will remove me. Will, by some means, but he will. I trust him to oversee his people, to shepherd his people, to take care of his bride. And we all need to do that. Hebrews chapter 10 gets into, so this is uh, the who of the church. Who is the church? Church is who Paul said here, it's that that body of people who are saved and sanctified through Jesus Christ by faith. Who have been set apart for His purpose. Who are held together in Him. And who are submitted um, and devoted to the authority of Christ over them. Now we submit to him not out of fear, but out of love and gratitude. That is why we call him Lord. Because of what he has done for us. It is only our reasonable response. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to turn there because this gets into the why. Why? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And we're going to, there'll be three things we look at here specifically, a couple of them that flow directly out of this passage, and then one more I'm going to add to that. But, um, so the author of Hebrews here in chapter 10 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is, through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, what I want you to see here, first of all, is the use of, of, uh, of who's being spoken about. We and us. Who is the we and the us? The we and the us are whom uh, Paul is referring to in Corinthians when he refers to the church being those who are sanctified, set apart by the blood of Christ. So the we and the us are believers in Jesus Christ, saved by him and for him. And so since we have, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that is, that we can draw near to God without fear of judgment because Jesus Christ has taken God's judgment against our sin, and now we may draw near in confidence to him. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, and that's a reference to, to the temple where... Um, where the holiest place, where God made His presence manifest, was closed off to to everyone, save save uh, uh, a certain certain person who was called into that space uh, very very rarely. Okay, and only, even then only under certain circumstances. But the throne of God has been made accessible to everyone through Jesus Christ, and so there's. There's, uh, we get to go through the curtain. That is, through his flesh, Jesus Christ. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Jesus Christ, let us draw near with a, a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean. So do you see that there is a, a community thing going on here? That we do this together. Now you should do this individually, but we do this together. So this is kind of recaps what we've already kind of looked at this. Who is the church? uh, Those people saved by Christ and devoted to him. But then as we continue on here, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So will 19 through22 kind of reiterates what we've already looked at up to this point. save I would add this one thing, and this is, gets at the heart of the church. And we've, we've seen it in Colossians, we've, we, we see that uh, in, in Paul's greeting, and we see it here, and that is the, the main objective of the church, the main purpose of the church is to exalt Christ. It is by Him, for Him, and in Him it holds together. And so the main purpose of the church is to lift high the name of Christ, to exalt Him, to give Him glory, to give Him honor, to give Him our thanks. In fact, if you remember when we read 1 Peter chapter 2, he says um, that you're, you're a, a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He lays all this out about your new identity in Christ now as the people of God belonging to Him that you may what proclaim the excellencies of of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He made you this that you would exalt Christ. The second thing is this. So, the first primary purpose that we have as the church is to exalt Christ. Second thing I want to look at here is uh, he says, Let us hold fast confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised. Is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we are to together hold fast to the confession of our hope that we have, we share in Christ, because He's faithful. And then we are to consider, that is, to give serious thought to and, and implement into action how we stir each other up to love and good works. Now, this um the 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 word in the original language that's used here for stirring one another up uh is used as uh, as a term of of encouraging and and helping each other along. And it's it's more than just a a word of encouragement like, go get them. You got this. You're going to be fine. It's it's the same word that's used in the negative uh, when Paul and Barnabas have a sharp disagreement. Now, how sharp was that disagreement? It was so sharp Two believers that had such a sharp disagreement that they parted ways over it. Now, they didn't hold on to bitterness and resentment and all that. So not that kind of parting ways. We're like, fine, fine, fine. It wasn't like that. It was just they got to a place where they said, we cannot work together here um, and, and, and achieve the goal that God has called us to because we have such a disagreement that that basically says we're going to have to separate in order to achieve the purpose of God for us. And it was over a, a young guy that, that Paul found to be a nuisance and that Barnabas said, we know we got to keep pouring into this guy. Who later Paul said, man, I'm so, this is my paraphrase, man, I'm so glad Barnabas kept investing in him because he's, he's such a help in the kingdom of God. But, you understand here what is being said is this isn't just a pat on the back. Sharp disagreement, but in the positive. So this is stirring each other up. This is, this is real action. This is, this is really fanning the flame hard. How do we really help each other, really press forward and push on towards growing in Christ? Holding on to the hope. See there that we have this common hope that we're holding on to. Hold fast the confession of our hope why? Because he's faithful, and we're to stir each other on, stir each other up towards love and good works. And then later on, there it says to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the day? The day of the judgment of Christ that's coming. Now we we know that because what comes next is is a. Um, He talks about sin and how that's going to be dealt with. But he is returning and his judgment is coming. And so as we see that day coming, let us keep encouraging each other even more. And so the the second thing is that we are called, the church has a purpose here. The reason that we're here is to help one another persevere and grow in faith, hope, and love. God has given us one another as a family to to help each other finish well and keep growing in him. And so he gives us things like spiritual gifts, which are for what? Building you up? No, building up the whole body of Christ. So praying, giving, serving, teaching, correcting, discipling, worshiping, sharing in communion. These are all things that we do to help spur each other on and hold fast to the hope that we have in Christ. To hold on to the faith that we have in him and to grow in his love. The third thing is this the church is here to make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, some of the last words that Jesus left to his followers were, I have all authority to say this, and I'm telling you, go make disciples. Jesus said to his followers, Go make disciples. That is, those who would be devoted to Christ, learners of his ways, who would would join in, as as the number that Paul talks about there, the church of God, who would be members of the church of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and who would be devoted to their Savior and becoming like him. Now, disciples, um, making disciples is uh more than a bumper sticker it's 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 more than a tweet um making disciples requires us to be involved in the lives of other people where they're at and to help them go from where they're at towards a likeness in christ which requires the holy spirit to give us wisdom and understanding and to, to, and for us to, to know the word of God that we can relay these truths. And it requires us to be ourselves disciples of Christ who are committed, devoted to him and his lordship in our life. That we may bring others along with us in that. Um, discipling is not about sitting over someone. Um, it's not about wagging your finger. It's not about being the professor and the student's. Uh, It's about coming alongside and helping one another grow in Christ. And some of us are farther along than others. And and our job is to help bring them along. To grow in, in Christ. To learn what it means to belong to Him. And to walk in His ways. And all of us can benefit from someone who's been farther along in the journey. Who can come alongside of us and help us grow. We are going to be learning to be like Jesus for our entire life. It, that job is never done. And we see this as, you, as we look through Acts and through Paul's letters and Peter's and John's. We see that they have a, a particular uh, focus on the people helping one another and sharing the gospel and making more disciples. So the church, um, these are things that we participate in with together. We are the people. When, when the scriptures say the saints, um, they're not talking about just a select few. Saints refers to all those who have been made holy by the blood of Christ. That's us. Royal priesthood, that's us a people of His own possession. That's us. A people who are called to proclaim the excellencies of Him who brought us out of darkness into His marvelous light. That is us. And so let us be diligent and faithful to exalt Christ together, to spur each other on together, and to make disciples, to teach people the gospel and invite them to follow Christ, and then teach them His ways. Let's pray. Father, this is Your family. These are Your children. You love us so compassionately, so patiently, so enduringly, so sacrificially. Father, let us be overwhelmed with thanksgiving for your great love for us and your faithfulness towards us. That you would send your Son to die on the cross for our sins, the punishment for our sins. That we would become the children of God through faith in him. Thank you that you do not discriminate, that all those who come to you seeking your forgiveness and trusting in Christ are received by you as children. Thank you that you hold us together. For, Lord, I guarantee that if we ever get the idea that this belongs to us, we will mess it up so royally. And we ask, Lord, that you would just continue to lead your people, to shepherd your flock, your family. That, Lord Jesus, you would, you would care for your bride in that tender and passionate way that you do. Lord, we ask that you would help us to to stir one another up. To be eager to figure out how we can help each other grow in Christ. And to be searching for opportunities and seizing opportunities to be able to share your excellencies with other people. All the great and wonderful things you have done, first of all, which is sending your Son for us. Let that be always ready on our lips. Lord, may you be exalted and glorified through us and make us fruitful f- for your kingdom, for your glory. It's in the name of our Savior we pray. Amen. And I told you I was going to throw some Greek at you. Can you pull up that Kletos... Kletos Slide, please. So Paul says here uh, in his greeting, he says that um, we are called to be saints together with all those who, in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a word used there, uh, "kletos," which means that you're divinely selected and appointed. Here's the cool thing: Jesus uses a word when he, in John chapter 14, when he says he's going to send a helper, a comforter, an advocate. For you and me who believe in him. And he refers to him as Perakletos, the Holy Spirit, who is called to our side as our comforter, our advocate, to help us in what God has called us to. Pretty amazing, isn't it? We have a divinely we have been divinely appointed, and we have a divinely appointed advocate and helper who is. Uh, who is way more than capable of helping us to do all that God has called us to. So church, um, you've got the wind at your back from, from here to eternity. So God has chosen you and appointed you in whatever capacity he has specifically in your life to serve him and glorify him. And now he has equipped you and given you everything you need to fulfill that. So don't shy away from it. It's the only reason, seriously, that I can, I can fulfill this role in the midst of you is because I have full faith that God is somehow going to make it possible. And you need to trust him for the same thing in your life, whatever he's called you to. Lord, bless and keep you, church. He is ever with you. Your prayer <laughs>